Welcome to the Coral Project's No Baton Needed podcast. I'm Chris Wilmore, the podcast's executive audio engineer and sometimes host. This episode takes its cue from our summer's digital zine, Quarantine Chronicles. If you're an email subscriber of the Coral Project, you've received bi-weekly zines focused on getting to know our singers, board members, and staff. One issue in particular elicited positive responses from patrons of the Coral Project, and that got us thinking. Why not interview Kelsey Killerin, TCP Alto, and the subject of that issue? We hope you enjoy the last episode of Season 1. Hi, Kelsey. Welcome to hey. uh, our podcast. It's great to have you as a guest. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. I wanted to give our listeners just a little bit of background so they know a little bit about you. Um, uh, Kelsey, you're a singer in the Coral Project, and this summer you were featured as um, you were a featured subject of the Coral Project's uh, digital summer zine, The Quarantine Chronicles, and you shared some very personal and heartfelt things about your life that resonated with our patrons. So bear with me, but I wanted to read um, some of the comments that were received. One was, do folks have to pass an outstanding personality test as well as a vocal audition? I thought that was sweet. Someone said that they loved that particular issue. And then another person said, it was very moving and a pleasure to read. And thanks to Kelsey's approach to life. So um, those were some of the reasons why I thought, you know what, we should interview her on the podcast and just, you know, dig a little bit deeper and find out a little bit more. So... um, uh, let's let's actually dig right in. Well, well, you know, dovetail to the question about the audition. Let's talk about your audition. Um, how was the experience for you? You get to rate me. <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, I want to start by saying that the first, I think, the very first uh, audition I had with you was kind of me uh, going in for a bit of a test audition. I knew I wasn't going to be able to. Um, participate in the choir that year but I I kind of you were gracious enough to host me during auditions where I kind of asked what sort of things I could work on for when I was able to audition in the future and you gave me uh, a number of actionable things um to do for um for kind of my future audition when I would be able to commit to a season do you remember what um, I do you remember what I asked you to do yeah, I remember you You asked me to work on my sight reading specifically, which uh, admittedly I still need to keep working on. It's my weakest area. Um, it's a work in progress as always. Um, and you uh, actually pointed me to um, an app I could use to work on pitch matching, um, which has continued to be helpful for me um, for identifying pitch and ear training. So, um, those were, those were helpful. And then when the actual audition process, or when I was actually able to audition, um, oh, uh, it was a, it was a great audition. I was so nervous. I was confident that I was not going to make it into the choir because I was so, so rusty. And, um, you, uh, I came in with a, a piece memorized. I didn't have any sheet music and you just kind of picked it up. I, I sang Colors of the Wind from Pocahontas and you and you were like, what key? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> and so uh, we picked one and you just played it, um, which was a phenomenal uh, piece of 
improvisation, musical improvisation on your part. Um, and, uh, and then in a, in addition, um, the piece, uh, we were working on, it was a part of a piece called, uh, Unicornis Captivator, um, which, uh, which was part of the group audition, which was wonderful. I loved that. That was my favorite part of the audition actually was the group audition. Um, when we were all singing together, I just loved being singing in a choir again and it kind of, um, calmed my nerves a little bit. Um, but in the individual part of the audition, um, oh man, some of it's so fuzzy, but those are the pieces that I remember, um, the most. And again, you asked me to work on my sight reading more <laughs> after the audition. So, so while we're on this topic, what prompted you to audition for the Coral Project? Well, um, my my friend Leah Drake um, had told me about the Coral Project when uh, after I graduated from college and was looking around for choirs to potentially join, and um, I really respected her as a musician. Um, we had gone to school together uh, all throughout um, our uh, public school public schooling. Um, and uh, she was in the band um, at Lee, and we had sometimes sung together. And um, and by Lee, I mean Lee High School. And um, her recommendation was, uh, well, I respected her recommendation, let's just say that. And then also um, former soprano um, Barbara Weiss also recommended the, or sorry, Barbara West also recommended the Choral Project. Um, and after listening to some of the music, it was, it was modern music that was of high caliber and the choir obviously cared about the artistry of the pieces um, and making just really beautiful music. And it seemed like the artistic direction was, it just seemed like a, um, a choir that had um, high standards. And that's the kind of choir that I wanted to be a part of. Um, I had been singing since, uh, in choirs specifically since I was six years old, um, locally here on the peninsula, starting with Cantabile Children's Chorus with um, Peggy Spool and Signa Boyer. And, um, it, you know, choir was where I made pretty much all of my best friends and best friendships and, um, most special and healing bonding moments. Um, some of my greatest memories from like my whole life were in all of the different choirs that I've been in. So I knew I wanted to keep choir as a part of my life and, um, that I wanted it to be something that continued to challenge me and keep my brain and my soul alive at the same time. Excellent. Well, well, we're glad you did for sure. You've been a real asset to the group. The, speaking Thank of you. speaking of the repertoire and whatnot in the group, in this summer's Quarantine Chronicles, you noted that my arrangement of Into the West from Lord of the Rings, Re mm. Return of the King, makes you cry every time we perform it or listen to it. And I know why. It, it makes me cry too. <laughs> but I'm wondering if you can share um, a little bit about that with our listeners. Of course, yeah. Um, I'm getting emotional just thinking about it, actually. Um so, uh, 
when I was in middle school, uh, my parents told me that I couldn't see the Lord of the Rings until I had read the books. And so um, I sat down and I read all of the books, um, even though not all of the movies had been released. And um, I read them alongside my dad and my mom. And we all went to see the movies together. And the Lord of the Rings, both the book, like the, the literature experience and the, the movie experience were um, very family centric for me. Um, and, uh, all of the music that came along with it was pretty much the soundtrack to my life from like middle school, way past college. Um, and, uh, the, the final song, uh, of, in the credits of the Lord of the Rings, Return of the King into the West, um, called on lyrics or called on uh, the lyrics called on some textual pieces in the Lord of the Rings that were really poignant um, where Gandalf the Grey is talking about um, you know what happens after essentially what happens after life is over um, or maybe not over you know what what's the next step as he's um, uh, as he's talking to one of the other characters, and it's um, it's a moment of uh, it's one of the one of the moments in the Lord of the Rings where it's very human, and and Tolkien kind of departs from um, setting the setting the cinematic kind of scene and writing poetry, and he just gets into a human moment about comforting somebody who's afraid of death, and. Um, uh, I'm I'm a spiritual person, but I don't subscribe necessarily to a particular um, uh, creed or religion. And um, conversations about death have always been really meaningful from different perspectives, especially when um, you know when I've been confronted with um, the passing of a family member. And um, we performed that piece, you know, close enough to my my mom's passing. Um, and my mom passed in December of 2016, um, that the connection of music to that memory was still very important um, in kind of experiencing the the grief of it or the, the process of grappling with the whole experience of death or passing on. And, um, and so kind of the confluence of connection to my family, the beauty of the piece itself, um, and how, how it felt to be singing it and listening to it at the same time, immersed in the sound with the whole group, um, and singing the lyrics that were so meaningful, um, was just a powerful and continues to be a powerful and overwhelming experience. <laughs> I totally understand.
music has a way of um, wiggling into the cracks in your soul and you know finding those spots that other things can't get to and it touches you and affects you and heals you they um it's one of the reasons why it's such a powerful tool for people who struggle with alzheimer's and music will bring them bring them mm. back my the piano teacher i had growing up joanne mcneil she uh, passed away from alzheimer's and i had gone to las vegas to visit her she was in a, a hospital there um, near the end of her life and when I walked in she didn't recognize me at all she w was barely present I spent the afternoon with her and then I went back to uh, the hotel and I decided to burn a CD of all of the piano repertoire her favorite pieces that she taught to her students. She had a huge studio and we'd do a big recital. Um, and in this big recital, there were always, you know, 15 pieces that were there every year, her very favorite pieces. So I burnt a CD of those and brought it the next day uh, and put it on and let it play. And I sat with her and again, she was sort of in and out, but the, but they just put had the CD on repeat. So it played through all afternoon and all night. When I went back the next day, I walked in. She looked at me and she went, oh, Daniel, it's so good to see you. Because completely present, totally talking, recognized everything around her. Um, wow. So it was, it was interesting to see how music sort of brought her back. And it, it really does affect the brain and the heart and the soul in a way like nothing else can. Well, and, and, and that's an amazing story that, that really makes me think about Actually, one of the one of the things that struck me the most about this particular piece and my process of of grief was that prior to singing this piece, I don't think that I had really tried that kind of all right. Like it, it there's a there's a different kind of um, crying that that you do when you're really present with a loss in a way that's okay. Um, and it was very present. Um, and I don't think I'd ever been as present as I was when we were first rehearsing that song um, with that particular feeling. Um, I had been pushing a lot down because it was very difficult to deal with. And it made it possible to, it wasn't just dealing with the feelings. It was just feeling and being with whatever was connected to the, to the song, um, which was a huge gift. Um, it, it opened up, I don't know, the, it was, it was a presence. It was a connection to something I needed to feel or experience. It's a, it's a beautiful piece. My, I mean, my arrangement isn't, I don't think my arrangement is particularly miraculous. All I did was took the song and the orchestrations and I just put them into voices. It's really Howard Shore and the writing team with Annie Lennox that sort of created this and these amazing lyrics. Um, but, uh, yeah, it... I, I want to challenge that, though, because at the same time, the the act of performing it is diff is is really different than listening to the initial song. Like all of the, the elements that you that you brought out and have us have us sing kind of connect. It ties the whole piece together in a different way. It's almost. um. Uh, the performative element becomes the important part, I think, 
in your arrangement because you're you're weaving your voice through the different parts in a way that you're you're still connected to the whole piece but when you're listening to the original arrangement for Annie Lennox you're mostly hearing her her voice rather than the whole the whole thing yeah I, I, um, I, I get that yeah yeah and I think that that's one thing that I really value about the arrangement even orchestral versions of it um, you know, listening to just the, the instrumental versions, um, isn't the same kind of experience because I still overlay the different choral parts, the different voice parts that you've written in, um, that make it even more meaningful and more, um, in my mind, more beautiful. <laughs> well, well, thank you. I can <laughs> feel all the piece. I can feel all the different pieces. Yeah. I can feel all the different pieces in the choral arrangement. It's a, I, I love that piece. It, I never. It's one of. I call it a desert island piece. Like if I were stranded on a desert island, that's one that I could have and never get tired of. One hundred percent. So, speaking of your family, I know that music runs in your family, and so I want to. I want to talk about that. But I'm curious if, um, if music has ever been something you formally learned could soothe or heal. Did you, or is it just something you learned through experience? Um. I did, I don't think I formally learned and there was never any explicit um, teaching done about the healing power of music that I received. Um, I think that um, it was a tacit agreement amongst my musician, like my, you know, the folks who were making music with me, as well as people who were listening to the music, who would mention how they would feel or um, what they would be getting out of it. But no, I think it was just a part of an emergent uh, awareness through experience. I think that it actually is probably the same for a lot of people. I mean, even for me, um, I growing up, I, you know, put on the headphones and listen to some Richard Strauss or something like that. And, and I would feel transcendent. I would have an experience, but I, I don't, as a child, I wasn't really cognizant of what is it that's really going on with me. It wasn't until I started becoming a practitioner as it were you, and which is part of the reason why the Coral Project has the mission statement and the vision statement that it has, that I knew that when I formed the group at that point in my life, I thought that, there can be something more directed about the craft. And, and so all of the concert programming is done with this sort of journey in mind that an audience member leaves changed somehow. Uh, but it wasn't until, you know, my mid to late twenties that that started to crystallize for me. And then I formed the group. So let's talk about your yeah, family. I... Yeah. Oh, sorry. I didn't want to interrupt you. Oh, I, I was, I was just digesting everything that you said. Um, because it really resonated, uh, you know, I feel very differently when I am actually a part of music making than I am when, than I feel when I'm listening to the music. Um, and it's a, also a different feeling when I'm part of a music process with a group. Um, and each, each part of the process has its own value in what, you know, what we would call the healing power of music. And, um, and just, and, and I could never just be a, a listener. Um, and I also, I've, I've never pursued solo performance because to me, the, the act of performing 
has to be an invitation to people to also experience the music process um, and the music making. Um, and per the a solo performance to me doesn't quite bring everything that I think is valuable about music. And music making with other people is, to me, what makes the music full and rich for me in my own experience. So that's what I like to share with people. I'm, I'm right there with you. I, there's something very powerful about seeing a group of people from different backgrounds, different ages, different belief systems, but they come together to do something greater than themselves. And I think an audience really can resonate with it because the audience is also a group. And then they start to see their interconnectivity. It's, it, it becomes, you know, this magnificent sort of feedback loop of positive energy when, when you, yeah when you hit the touchstone just the right way. So let's yes. talk. <laughs> let's talk about uh, your family, the music history in your family, because it. Um, I have a little list here of, of things in front of me <laughs> to make sure that oh, don't forget this. But um, it's quite rich. I think our listeners will be interested to know. So um, I wanted to start with um, with my brother. So I'll kind of like start with my my closest relatives and move on up the tree. Um, so my brother actually, and I don't think I wrote about this um, uh, in. Uh, my interview, but my brother plays the guitar beautifully. Um, he's inspired by um, uh, Tommy Emmanuel. Um, he's inspired by um, uh, Led Zeppelin. Um, and he he picked up the guitar in college um, after most of us thought that he wasn't really inclined to be musical rather than he was, he was mostly a music appreciator, um, a very, uh, ardent music appreciator. But when he picked up the guitar, he, um, he didn't just teach himself chords for group playing. He, he taught himself essentially how to play as a solo artist. And every single time he picks up the guitar, he makes magical things happen with it. Um, and he uh, he really only performs for friends and family. And his his version of a, a birthday card is a song he would write for for some of us. And um, and so it's really amazing to have um, a musical sibling. He's my only sibling, and um, I can't wait to see how he uh, how he progresses in his own musical journey. Um, my uh, my mom had a. A set of pipes that would rattle the house. Um, she would just walk around the house while she was doing chores, singing along to Aretha Franklin, or really just anyone. Um, she really liked Laurie Anderson, um, and it just her um, and the Tedeschi Trucks band. She had such an eclectic um, music taste, and she would just sing along to everything, loud and proud and really well. Um, <laughs> And she uh, she had such an amazing voice, and I was always a little bit jealous at the the amount of the volume of sound that she could produce, um, and uh, and so she always inspired me to to sing, even if I felt a little trepidatious. She was like, "No, no, no, don't be afraid of your voice, let it out." Um, my dad um, wasn't uh, or isn't um, the isn't a dedicated musical practitioner. He likes to, you know, um, kind of mess around on the recorder or the, the thumb piano, but he loves listening to uh, music because he grew up in a musical household where um, his mom, um, his mom played the, uh, the organ and sang. Um, so my grandmother uh, was just an incredible 
um, singer and organist, um, but she hasn't performed in a long time. And I actually have only heard her play the organ once, I think, in my life. Um, she hasn't been making music for a long time, and someday I wish to hear her again. Um, and my, you can always hear my dad's dad, my grandfather, just singing to some crooner or other, uh, singing along, and he's got a great voice as well. He has always encouraged me to keep singing, and whenever he comes to visit, he'll pick a song and ask me if I can sing it, and if I don't know it, I'll, he'll teach it to me, and then we'll sing duets together. Um, and those two grandparents taught ballroom dancing as well, correct? Exactly, yeah. They, they taught ballroom dancing for, um, for quite a long time. And while my parents didn't uh, do a lot of ballroom dancing, um, I have been very into ballroom dancing. So I think that, that I, I like swing dancing quite a lot, and I think that runs in the family. <laughs> um, and uh, while my mom's mom um, wasn't musical per se that I know of. Um, my, my grandfather played the drums um, in the, uh, the army band um, during World War II. And um, my earliest memories, some of my earliest memories are of him trying to teach me how to hold drumsticks. Um, and uh, I, I'm slightly ashamed to say that um, I still struggle with even you know, singing and clapping uh, <laughs> on beats. So I don't think I inherited his sense of rhythm, but. <laughs> well, let's talk about actually, you know, what's, what's your musical background? You said you, you started with Cantabile. So we know Cantabile and we know Lee High School. What was that journey like for you? Have you studied privately with anybody or? Um, yeah, I pretty much solely focused on voice, um, uh, and, and choral music and, and performance within choir. Um, I, uh, I briefly took guitar and piano lessons during high school, um, though I, uh, I, oh, and trumpet. I, I also played the trumpet briefly. My parents, my parents were trying to get me to, um, uh, branch out, um, away from just singing. Mostly they just wanted to hear me play, but I was always, a, I was always embarrassed to practice in the house. So some of those, um, pre-college practices didn't quite take. Um, I was a very shy person. I, uh, I like singing in choirs because you can't quite hear just me. But I also um, was in uh, quite a few of the musicals at Lehigh School. I really enjoyed um, specifically being a part of uh, the Secret Garden and the Beauty and the Beast performances there. And I got to be the wardrobe in the Beauty and the Beast. And that was my... Uh, that was that was when I was starting to be really comfortable with my voice, and I, you know, was okay with some solo performances, um, and got to be kind of loud and a little bit operatic. Um, I was studying with um, Don Haneke and Barbara West privately for voice at the time, um, and when I went to college, I went to UC Berkeley. I quickly joined the um, the women's chorus, um, and then. Uh, deciding that that was a little too informal for me. I joined the university uh, choir and um, studied uh, private voice lessons alongside some music theory as well and was getting a little bit more deep into it um, before uh, before graduating. Um, and when I graduated, that was when my mom got sick and I pretty much kind of put a lot of music on hold. What was your um, what was your area of study at Berkeley? I'm curious. Uh, conservation and resource studies. Well, actually, let me let me back up. I initially went to study English to become an old English professor like Tolkien. Um, 
I, I you mean kind of a professor of old English, not an a old, professor, in, not an old, old professor. English professor. Okay. Exactly. A professor of old English, um, not middle English, old English. Um, I essentially, essentially J.R.R. Tolkien inspired me to, to go to college. Um, no, but, but really, um, I was, I was there for English and, um, uh, and you know, it's, it's funny, I should have seen it coming, but I, I was deciding between UCLA and UC Berkeley and I decided to go to UC Berkeley, not because it was closer to where I grew up. In fact, that was, uh, what UCLA had going for it. It was that it was far away from where I grew up, but, um, and it had amazing libraries, but UC Berkeley had a, a T-Rex skeleton in the middle of their Valley Life Sciences building and, and a creek running through the the whole campus and forested areas. And I decided to go there. And so it should have been no surprise when I switched to uh, conservation and resource studies um, to study human ecology and plants. That's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. We could do a whole, we could do a whole uh, conversation about how plants respond to music and all the interesting oh, studies yeah. that have been done on that too. <laughs> yes. So entirely coming back to the now um, and the present, what tell us a little bit about, a little bit about how the quarantine has affected you. Oh boy. Um, everyone's got a story. Um, I feel like, uh, it, 2020 hasn't just been one year. Quarantine hasn't just been one year. It feels like a whole decade in a year. Um, so musically it's been really interesting. Um, as I was saying, I, I really enjoy performing with people. Um, and that, uh, solo performing and maybe practicing in the house have been things that have been uh, difficult for me in the past. And it's um, it's been kind of a journey through that as I've been prevent. You know, I haven't been able to perform with other people very much um, vocally, at least. Um, and uh, and for a while, I was mostly just listening to podcasts rather than music to try to imagine that I was surrounded by people <laughs> like conversation podcasts. Um, and, uh, and I realized about three months in to quarantine and to this whole shelter in place, uh, business that I wasn't really listening to music. Um, and that caught me off guard a little bit, especially when, uh, there were talks of, um, maybe starting, uh, singing or, um, gathering together, uh, virtually with the choral project. And I was like, I haven't really sung. I haven't played the piano. Oh, I took, I took piano lessons with Leah Drake upon entering the choral project, um, which were immensely helpful in getting me back up to speed musically. Um, and also helping me, you know, uh, have a musical practice at home. And I've got my, I've got my keyboard here, but I haven't really been playing it. And, um, and I realized that the, the group music making experience was, was what, it, what, it, what I've always been about. And without a group to make music with, um, it's been, uh, been a weirdly silent time. Um, I've been listening to a lot more birds. I'm an avid birder. Um, I've been listening to a lot of bird calls and talking to them in my own, uh, human t trying to be a bird kind of way. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's been it's been a very isolating experience not being able to share in group experiences. And as a person who 
um, is um, between an introvert and an extrovert. I really like my alone time. I could certainly stand to have a lot more uh, group and gathering time, um, as I'm sure so many people are are feeling right now. Um, and I've really been thankful for uh, for the Coral Project um, gathering on Zoom to sing. You've started uh, several several weeks back. Started having us gather online um, to sing, and even some days when I feel just like I'm not feeling the music, even just showing up has uh, has been really healing to hear uh, to hear each other and to, to kind of see everyone making music again or to hear everyone making music again. You, you touched on something about um, birdsong, and so I'm going to use that to jump into this next question and see how elegant right. this segue is. Um, <laughs> how, how does music feed into your profession, if at all? Oh, okay, that's a fun one. So um, w- while my mom was ill, um, it, was, it was a little tough to find a job that I could do um, while also being available for her as a caregiver, um, and also that would take care of me, um, in all the ways I needed caring for, um, making sure that I was able to, you know, do something that was inspiring to me and kind of gave me a reason to walk out the door every way, uh, every day and be excited about it. Um, and so I became a, uh, I became a naturalist. I became a, um, a park interpreter for Big Basin State Park and, um, and a, a naturalist at YMCA Camp Campbell, um, where we worked a lot with, uh, families and kids. And a huge part of that was campfires, campfire songs, playing the ukulele or the guitar on trail, singing about nature, um, you know, teaching kids to, to listen to bird song. Um, one of my, one of my favorite, uh, activities to do with fifth graders was have them come up with as many different jingles for products that they could as they would like hear on the tv or the radio and then see how many different bird songs they could come up with at the beginning of the week and then at the end of the week after being in the forest um we would i would ask them to uh to come up with as many bird songs as they can and compare it to how many jingles they knew and it was always astonishing um, how motivated they were to learn more bird songs than jingles. That's great. <laughs> That's wonderful. I didn't know you worked um, at Camp Campbell. I've been there many, many times. Oh yeah, I worked there from uh, I worked there for four, four and a half, five years. I worked there for quite a while um, uh, under the the nature name Cricket. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, the last question I want to ask you. Um, relates to the title of our podcast, you know, No Baton Needed. Mm. We talk a lot about the baton. Um, on your end as a singer, a vocalist, do you like it when a conductor uses a baton or do you prefer hand gestures or does it even matter to you at all? You know, I'm going to be real. I don't think I've ever had a had a conductor use a baton. <laughs> um, I think it would feel... Um, uh, odd without without the hand gestures i i feel like uh hand gestures are so expressive um and there's um i to me i just i associate a baton with with uh 
orchestra director. I don't know. It's uh, well, we we do. Barbara and I both use the baton at Winter's Gift, so you've you've gotten the baton uh, from us then. Well, that just shows you how much I'm paying attention to the baton versus your hand. Uh, interesting. <laughs> Um, no, I'm, I'm looking at the whole body language. Um, uh, it's like, I think that it would be like, as if, you know, someone who you talk to every single day, put on glasses one day, um, and then took them off the next day, but you just never thought anything of it. If that, if that makes any sense. Sure. It's, it's, it's interesting to hear everybody's responses to this. Um, and, um, the world is the world is a diverse place. <laughs> well, Kelsey, it's been wonderful um, chatting with you and getting to know more about you. And it's you're such a wonderful asset to the group. And you you bring such a light and a kindness along with your your musical talents. And oh, thank I'm, you. I'm glad we had a chance to learn more about you and and how music has affected your life, your family. Um, life events, um, as well as your work. This has been, this has been wonderful. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. You are very, very welcome. Thank you for listening to the inaugural season of the No Baton Needed podcast. We will be back with season two in the new year. And if you're listening to this episode prior to Saturday, December 19th, we invite you to watch and listen to the Coral Project's virtual presentation of Winter's Gifts Treasures. Visit wintersgifts.com for more information. And be sure to follow The Coral Project on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. Happy holidays from the No Baton Needed team and The Coral Project. <laughs>